Welcome to The Mountain Podcast. The Mountain Church is dedicated to helping people love Jesus and the people they encounter every day. Today, you will listen to our most recent Sunday sermon. So sit back, relax, and let Jesus speak to you wherever you may be. And now, this week's sermon. Y'all quit early. (laughs) Uh, Well, welcome back, guys. We're so glad to have you together with the family. So delighted. We've got some exciting things coming up. Just a couple things I want to make you aware of before the ushers come forward. Um, We're going to have a town hall coming up on the 28th at 530. It's a Sunday evening. Um, So we're going to invite you to come out to the town hall. It's going to be a time of vision, of expressing the heart of God for the mountain family, what we believe God has in store for us, uh, and just some exciting things that are coming in the future. Also, we want to let you know that our homes are coming in March, and we want you to start thinking and praying about either hosting or leading a home. If you're interested, there's information in the lobby. Uh, You can talk to me and let me know if you have questions. I'll give you all the information that we have, but we're going to start in March. It'll go for six weeks. That is our main discipleship thrust, and we just want to invite you to participate in that either as a host or lead, but for sure, find a home that you want to plug into. Um, and and we want to we wanna welcome you into that process as well. So as the ushers come forward, we're going to have them pass the offering plates. And as we do that, we're going to have Sam come up and share. He did such a great job for service. He only shared, he said, 25%, but I think that was all we could handle because it was so, so, so good. So would you welcome Sam as he comes to share what God's prepared for us? So <laughs> All right, how fun. I think some people stayed home to watch football. I'm seeing them, and so I'm going to text them. I'm going to be like, hey, Jesus missed you today. <laughs> Jesus missed you. It's good to see you guys. Good to hang out. I love I love this church. Hey, uh, right, right away, I want to kind of uh, get you guys set up for something here. Uh, you see these guys, they're in the seat backs, or if you've got scratch paper or pen. Also, we're going to put a number up on the screen uh, because we're doing a series called Build. Uh, and really, this is a year that we saw a Lord building, just building a lot through community, building us as individuals. Really excited about that. Um, and so that could look like a lot of different things. And I really love preaching. I love to preach what God has shown us to preach, uh, but also a part of this community and being a, a teacher, a preacher in this community is there's a love people element as well. So that's what this part will be is I want to know what you want to learn to build this year with Jesus. It may be uh, individually some things. It may be family. It may be community. Uh, it may be business. It may be otherwise. But wanted to hear from you, your thoughts and ideas on uh, sermon themes or sermon specific sermons uh, for things that you want to learn to build with God this year. Uh, and so, yeah, if you could, if there's actually papers here if you wanted them. Wow, look at all these scratch papers. Wow, that's a lot. You can have these if you wanted them. Just she'll, this is my wife. She'll give them to you if you want. Uh, and there's, there's these guys here. So you can put them in here. Or if you don't like paper and killing trees, then you can text this guy uh, up here. And uh, you could do the same thing there. And uh, we'll take a look at those things. Uh, I love the interaction uh, on what you're seeing, what you're wanting, what you're uh, hearing from God, and or what a need is in your life. And uh, that'll be so helpful to me because I love this community and I want to accurately equip it. 
And there's a lot of different things that God has designed for us to build in our lives individually as a church family. And we want to partner well with those things. I went a little old school today with my sermon notes. Uh, and so I wrote it on a piece of paper. And uh, I do that sometimes. You know, when you preach a lot, you got to kind of, my personality too, I got to change it up a little bit. Even if I just write it down instead of type it, iPad, it helps my brain. You know, you like get excited again. You're like, it's different. <laughs> and so we'll be in First John 2. You can use this guy too on the seat backs. I know it's for new visitors, but we have like 10,000 of them. So uh, feel free to use that. Anything in any way, you can bring it up. Uh, during, after, most people bring it up after, they don't want to distract. Uh, so you can bring it up before, after, during, uh, you could text it anytime this week, anytime at all, anytime for the rest of the year, if you want to uh, hand it to me in person, and then I'll lose it, and that'll be great. So First uh, John 2, that's where we're going to be starting out of today. The series this month is Build. Uh, and when you're building things or when you're focusing on building things, uh, the way God approaches this is he starts with the individual. This is his foundation. This is how he does everything through you begins with you. Uh, so before it's, hey, God, build something great through me or do something great through me, uh, it starts at the foundation of you building you, uh, delivering you, healing you. Uh, and even now, like as a pastor, so you might say like, oh, you're in your vocation or your calling or your assignment and he's doing things through you. Uh, but even now, it's critical that I yield my life to a transformation process continually. Scripturally talks about it in a daily way. Pick up your cross daily. So this isn't something that once you've gotten into your dream job or your vocation or God's doing stuff through you, that you're like, good thing I did that thing where God transformed me because, man, I'd be really jacked up now. No, it's something that you continue in and he develops you in it. And I actually think it's important for us to buy into the process uh, once we have gotten to places of leadership and responsibility, because it, uh, sometimes that's actually when it's the most inconvenient. The more responsibility and leadership you have on your life, the more inconvenient some of the heart processes can be. Uh, and, and sometimes it'll have you take steps back in terms of productivity, uh, but follow God's building work in your life. Uh, no matter what it puts at risk, follow God. Uh, so 1 John 2, we're going we're gonna to preach out of this place. And I had planned to get to verse 17, first service. I think I got to verse 5. So that was pretty cool. Uh, and so, But we're going to get there. And uh, I want you to notice some things about building is that there's a lot of potential that you can see in your life or in somebody else's life or in a group. You can maybe see potential on this church, and you're like, hey, this is really cool, man. There's a lot of potential. There's a lot of energy. There's a lot of great things happening. Uh, or on your own life, you might see potential in what God can do. Maybe you're on the other side of the coin, and you're like, God can't do anything with me. I'm a miserable person. Uh, that would be a lie. But potential is realized with Jesus when you walk with him in obedience. And God will always love you, but success is in Jesus means that you're walking with Jesus. You can have success in this world and, not, uh, and achieve that uh, by not walking with Jesus. So you can find success in this world uh, without Jesus. But in order for you to find success in, uh, with Jesus, it requires you to walk with Jesus. And he's going to love you whether you walk with him or not. But for you to realize true spiritual prosperity and success... 
uh, that looks like walking with Jesus. So the first thing we understand about God building us is there's a question of obedience and sin. Obedience and sin. And so we're going to tackle that right away because that's everyone's favorite topic, sin. So first two or chapter two, verse one, uh, it starts off saying, my little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Okay, so notice how he addresses us, little children. Uh, whenever you're reading scripture, try and understand the context of how you are being addressed, what it is calling you, and why. Like, why is it calling you a little child in this situation? Why is that the way you're being addressed? There's other points in scripture where it says mighty warrior, or it addresses us differently. But in this context, it's saying little children. There's a reason why it hearkens to that place of intimacy or that place of innocence uh, or that place of, uh, you know, a child is different than a warrior. And so understanding that when it comes to sin and Christ being our advocate, the best way to receive him is as a child with a really good father. Because it begins to paint the picture of what Jesus is doing, which he is an advocate with the father. And advocacy, uh, how many of you feel like you've actually had a person in your life that advocated for you pretty well? How many of you feel like you haven't really had a great advocate? That's definitely possible. And maybe it's too far and few in between, right? But when you really want to understand how Jesus is approaching you in sin, that term advocacy and that term is going to be really helpful for you to have the proper perspective of Jesus as it relates to your sin. If you see Jesus as a punisher when it relates to your sin, you've got to shift your perspective, right? If you see Jesus as haunting you uh, or abandoning you when you're in a place of sin, you've got to shift your perspective. You've got to repent of the way you're seeing Jesus because it's not accurate. So you might have these images of Jesus that you've copy and pasted to your human leadership. So maybe your mom or dad or your bosses or your coaches or your teachers gave you an image of leadership that you now apply to Jesus. And these are things when you're teaching about them, they're called God concepts. And for some of you, your God concepts just aren't healthy, meaning they are not accurate to who Jesus is. So if you see Jesus as condemning when you're in sin, this is an inaccurate picture of Jesus. Convicting? Yes. Condemning? No. Shame? No, right? So we've got to understand the image of Jesus when it relates to when we are in a place of sin or we're missing the mark or we are failing in a way that we don't want to fail or believe that God wants us to succeed. So what do we do when we're in that place? It's a place that I believe we all experience and definitely we all have experienced but when you sin, right, that's what it was saying here. Like, look, 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 I am writing these things so that you may not sin. Goal is always no sin. Yes, we know that. But when you do, when you do, when you find yourself in that place, the best way forward is for you to see Jesus as an advocate. Jesus Christ, the righteous is what it calls him here. Jesus Christ, the righteous 
the righteous. When I do righteous things, I'm not called Samuel the righteous. When I express righteousness, I don't get the name and the title of righteous. This is Jesus' name and Jesus' title. So yes, I can be clothed in righteousness. I can even express righteousness. But this is an act of me yielding to the name of righteousness. This should open up the door for humility that when you're growing in maturity and when you're growing uh, in your ability to behave like Jesus, you don't also uh, grow in your arrogance, but that you actually grow in your humility as you begin to act like Jesus more and more because you understand the source of your ability comes from Jesus. The source code, if any of you are in software, you got the source code. It actually gives the ability for the program to operate the way it operates. Jesus Christ is the source code of righteousness. So when I begin to act more mature, when I begin to act like Jesus, I don't look on others as inferior and or look at others from a place of judgmentalism, but I actually look at others in the same way that Hopefully, Jesus looks at me, right? Which is that there's an advocacy I want to have for them, for them to get connected to the advocate, to righteousness. All of my sources of righteousness come from Jesus. Somebody else might have come along and helped, been a mouthpiece of God. They might have been an encourager in this thing. But ultimately, all of our responsibilities as human beings in this is to edify and or to help connect. We are, have a ministry of reconciliation. We are helping people get reconciled to Jesus. Get connected to Jesus. Get encouraged and, and literally be instilled with courage for them to walk with Jesus. Too often we make a leadership connection the objective. Connecting to a pastor and a leader of a church isn't the objective. Pastors, leaders, churches, these are supposed to be through ways. Connection points to Jesus. He is the author and the perfecter of your faith. This is why there's nothing wrong with the church. There's nothing wrong with the pastors. There's nothing wrong with leaderships. There's something wrong with making them your God. So the way you shift this is that you begin to not have a vision and an image of that pastor or that preacher or that church or that brand, but that you begin to have a vision of Jesus, the advocate of your life that is building things, that is building you. And let's be really specific about it. Let's try and move away from generalizations. You can go, oh, praise God, Jesus is building me. He's advocating for my life. Isn't that a blessing? Wow, that's so great. Man, well, pastor preached a great message today. He talked about God advocating my life. Yay, God advocates in my life. Awesome. See, this is a generalization. If you really want to partner with what Jesus is building in your, in your life and advocacy, you've got to get specific. You've got to get intimate. You've got to get to the nitty-gritty of what he is advocating for you specifically. Not for Jimmy, not for Susie, not for somebody else, not in general, but specific. To the man who built his house on the rock, what did that man do? It says, to the man who dug deep, laid the foundation on the rock. If you really want to have Jesus advocate in your life, you've got to partner in a deep way with what that advocacy is. Understand what he's targeting. What is he building? What is he freeing you from? What is he healing you from? What is he nurturing in your life? What is he teaching and instructing? What discipline is he creating? What sin is he calling you to repent from? Have you heard the voice of God? Have you heard Jesus speak to you in advocacy? 
And you might hear advocacy as encouragement, uh, or you might hear advocacy as him doing something for you. But I want you to hear the full range of advocacy is all of the things that are needed for you to be like Christ. So could it be encouragement in one season? Absolutely. The Bible says, do not be afraid, but be of good courage. So when Jesus advocates for you, absolutely, it's going to instill courage into you. But also, the word talks about he is the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father except through him. So then you see that Jesus is about truth. Then you see Jesus has actually got a specific way that he's built for you, that he's called you to, that he's advocating for. He's the Lord of your life. So when it comes to Jesus, his advocacy might actually look like him correcting or disciplining his children because he loves them. This is how we actually move away from sloppy grace where it's like, oh, God doesn't care if I sin. You know, he loves me regardless. Yeah, he loves you regardless of your sin. Absolutely. That statement's true. But he does care if you sin. Sin is a great disruptor to the plan and the build that God has for our lives. Sin is not an ally to the plan of God for our life. Sin causes damage. Sin is imprisonment. Sin is shackles. Sin is the way of the world that is not the way of God. Sin is a thing that God wants to deliver you from, heal you from, help you overcome. He does not want to pacify it in your life. So if you see God, you see Jesus as an advocate in your life, then you actually will see him as an agent of chaos for sin. You'll see him as an agent of disruption for sin. You won't see him as a partner to the way of sin. And now, again, at the same time, you're not going to see Jesus as an abandoner of you when you're in sin. He stands at the door and he knocks. All the images of God that you can conjure up from Scripture will have you seeing God as relentless. Well, have you seen God as enduring and eternal and pressing and seeking and pursuing and going after your heart and going after your life? So when you've got an image of God in your head that begins to say, well, I've done a bunch of bad things. I've betrayed the character of God, so he's real distant from me. This isn't an actual accurate image of Jesus. This is a misrepresentation of Jesus that the enemy would want you to believe and have a conviction in. Because it's an aid to sin. To see yourself as distant from righteousness will actually aid in your wickedness. When it's Jesus the righteous, what better way for you to not be righteous than to make you believe that you are not connected to righteousness. That you are not capable of receiving righteousness, the person. There's what better way to trick you into being wicked than to, 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 to make you believe that you cannot connect to righteousness. So see, God has a plan for your life, absolutely, 100%. And it's an absolute certainty that sin is not an ally to that plan. But sin doesn't have to be the end of the story. So when you sin, understand that the vision of Jesus as an advocate is critical to you being able to overcome sin. It's critical to this. Have you felt his advocacy? Have you seen his advocacy? Is he confronting you? Is he convicting you? Are you able to and willing to go deep with Jesus when he confronts you of your sin? 
when he convicts you of your place and how you're expressing it. Notice what he did with the disciples. When they're arguing about who's going to be sitting next to him on the right or the left in heaven, he says the first shall be last and the last shall be first. His advocacy was to confront pride on the spot. So advocacy, I mean, it might sound encouraging and edifying, like, you got this, brother. Hey, Peter, this is the rock that we're going to build the church upon, the rock that has a, a revelation of Jesus from Heavenly Father. For flesh and blood didn't receive this of you. Yay, and you might see advocacy as an encouragement to what you're already doing good, and you're like, yes, I'm amazing. But advocacy is also like, hey, get behind me, Satan. You're more mindful of the things of man than you are the things of God. And we use Peter because he has such a great, just the dichotomy of how he behaved was perfect for us to go like, yeah, no, I can see me there and I can see me there. But Jesus advocates with us when we are right. He encourages it. He edifies it. He speaks to it. He breathes life onto it. And he also advocates by going, wait, 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 what is that? What is that? That's not alignment with me. I love you. I long for intimacy and relationship with you. Why do you walk with those things that are not me? Why do you run with the pack of wolves that is not me? Like, why do you run and walk in those spaces? Why do you have time with them? How do you sup with them? Why do you have fellowship with the world when I want fellowship with you? These things are not in partnership together. The ways of the world and the ways of God, these things are not allies. They are, are at odds with one another. Let's read on. We're actually going to see that. In verse 2, it says, He is the propitiation for our sins, and not, only, uh, for our, uh, and, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Now, what do we have happening here? We have the, the, you know, the horse blinders. We have the myopic perspective beginning to go like this. And we begin to understand that God is not only advocating for us as individuals, because it's a whole lot easier to think about our own life, right? But also that God is advocating for the whole world. So then it begins to heal our understanding of how God relates to the world. So he's not like, hey, us for no more. But that Jesus' advocacy is for the lost as well. It's for the broken. It's for the criminal. It's for the worst amongst us here on earth. Christ's desire and advocacy is for them as well. And by this, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Okay, it sets a standard, it sets a bar here that I think actually is pretty challenging. If we know him, we do his commandments. So one thing produces the other thing. That's the best way to understand this, right? Is that when you know him, you behave like him. When you know him, you act in the way he's prescribed. Sometimes we reverse it, and the religious order reverses it, which is behave like him, and you get to know him. And intimacy is achieved through the doorway of performance, but that's not how it works. You get to know him, and then you begin to act like him. And the closer you get to him, the more you start to act like him. Intimacy and relationship create righteous behavior. Righteous behavior does not create intimacy and religion. We tracking? Okay, so, uh, so when you sin, right, when you find yourself outside of that uh, relational intimacy byproduct behavior, when you sin, it becomes an issue of relationship connection. It's not a performance issue. It's a connection issue. 
So when you sin, understand it as a connection issue and work on your relationship connection with Jesus. Don't work on your performance capabilities and try and enhance your own ability to perform religious deeds, but work on your relationship. Work on your relationship, disconnect. Like, why am I doing things that are betraying your character and heart, Jesus? Why do I go back to that place? I don't understand it. I don't want to do it, but I go back to that place. Work on your relationship. Go deep with Jesus. So when the disciples wanted to be at the right or the left of Jesus, right? Go deep with it. Go deep with it. Allow Jesus to speak to the root of why you are having selfish ambition. Sometimes we gloss over selfish ambition in the church and call it God ambition, right? So we want to do great things. We want to create great things. And we have these ideas about what we can do. And then we're like, yeah, God wants me to do all these things. Aren't they exciting? You're like, well, I mean, yeah, maybe, maybe not. Maybe not. Maybe it's you've applied selfish ambition to the arena of God. You'll find out as you get closer to him. You'll find out as you spend more time with them. You'll find out as you, as you pick up your cross every single day, you'll find out what's you and what's God. You'll find out what it's his voice and what's your voice inside of you asking for. When it comes to building our personal lives, building this place, uh, <clears throat> the voice of God's gonna be critical. It's gonna be absolutely critical. You can try and achieve it through a pastor's voice or a podcast voice or through book voices and all these different things. But I really wanna encourage you, man, before you like flood yourself with a plethora of teachings and sermons and streams and movements, is that you become really familiar with the voice of God. This is one thing I was really grateful for early on in my walk with the Lord. Uh, and I was a pastor's kid, so I got saved 400 times before I was 18 baptized 19, but, uh, but when I was 18 years old, right around there, that's when I really, really uh, committed my life to Jesus. And, and I said the Lord's Prayer a bunch of times. So like 18, I really committed my life to Jesus, gave him my life. And one thing I really loved, I, 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 uh, I spent so much time in churches listening to sermons and speakers and guests and all that stuff, and none of it was bad, right? But when I got when I really got saved, when I really committed my life to Jesus, I was like, you know what? I just, I really want to know his voice. I, I don't want to know the voice that somebody else says is his voice, right? Even if they're right. I want to personally and intimately know that's Jesus's voice. The Bible says my sheep know my voice, right? I was like, I want that. I want that. And so I, I read this thing that, and this was 18, Sam, Samuel, Samuel Goulet, 18 years old. Read this thing about Smith Wigglesworth was like, just read the Bible, right? He didn't want to write books and all that stuff. He's like, he told people to burn their, Bible, uh, their libraries and stuff and all that kind of stuff. So pretty radical and extreme things. And I was like, yeah, that's me. I'm going to do that. And so I decided I was only going to read the Bible. As far as Christian books went, that's it. I was in college. So I had to read textbooks too. But uh, I was like, I'm just reading the Bible. That's what I'm doing. And I'm just going to read the Bible. Just Jesus, just God, the Bible all day long. That's what I'm reading. That's my inspiration. That's it right there. And what happened was like for like nine months, like God rewrote so much of how I saw so many things at that age and that time. I wrote, I read the Bible. I prayed. I listened to worship songs. 
read the Bible, prayed, listened to worship songs. I went and played college basketball in Montreal for until I tore my ACL, which was super cool. Um, and when I was up there, it was like, it was literally me. Like I had teammates and stuff and friends, but it was a co-ed like dorm area. You know, I had one roommate who's a guy, uh, he was a partier and it was just, it was a wild scene. Uh, and I was just, I loved the Lord. And so while everyone was partying on the whole floor and drinking age was 18 in Montreal, so every night was a party. And I would just be in my room, I'd have my cans on, my headphones, listening to worship music, prayer, and I'd be praying and reading my Bible, and I would be writing. And I'm telling you guys, I would have these downloads of God speaking to my life. Uh, I, I, I remember so keenly the revelation of abide in me and I in you, and you'll produce fruit from that place. I remember when that clicked for me. I remember when Jesus, the advocate, was advocating for righteousness in my life and fruitfulness in my life. And I remember living in God creates the behavior of God. I remember when it clicked. I remember where I was at. It was snowing. I had my big old North Face jacket on. And I remember it started to just open up. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I get it. And I sprinted home from there, you guys. Because I was so excited about what God was speaking to me that I had to write it down. I was like, there's no way I'm going to miss this. I have to write it down. And then I got to my dorm room and I took off my jacket and I put my headphones on and I wrote for like two or three hours. And I just wrote and wrote and wrote and God was speaking to me. And I was looking up keywords in the Bible and reading scripture. And I was so excited because God spoke something to me. And then I found it in the Bible and I'd never seen it before. And then I built confidence like, I know God's voice. I know God's voice. He spoke to me. I wrote it down. I didn't even know it was in the Bible. And then I found it in the Bible. And I was like, wow, that's so cool. God spoke to me. He spoke to me. He advocated in my life, and he spoke to me a truth that opened up the framework of how I see transformation. 18, 19 years old, right around there. And it's carried as a template for me. And I've gotten to say no to religious models that have tried to grab a hold and control me because I actually went like, look, I know that man can teach me, but the Bible also says that the Holy Spirit, you won't need any man to teach you because the Holy Spirit will teach you. One thing I love about the body of Christ in America is we have so many opportunities to hear so many inspiring sermons and teachings. One thing I don't like about that is sometimes we're so busy listening to other people talk about Jesus, we don't actually talk to Jesus. And this is something you have to measure in your own life, in your own conviction. Like, uh, have you heard people talking about God and sit in the subject of God for a long time? But are you walking you, in your own intimacy, walking with God? Because if you are, worship becomes really potent and relevant. Teachings become really different. They're not just like, man, I've actually heard that before, right? Well, of course you have. You've been in church for 20 years. You, I'm not exaggerating. You've heard it all. You've heard it all. You've probably read it all. But here's where it gets really tricky. Have you become it all? Have you become it all? The sermons, I hope they get boring for you. I hope you get restless and just hearing about it and not being about it. I hope you get irritated just being like, how many times am I going to have to learn a message about loving my enemies before I start to dangerously love my enemies? 
How many times am I going to have to hear another sermon about forgiveness where I actually commit my life to deep and meaningful forgiveness for the worst betrayers in my life? How many times am I going to have to hear about reconciliation before I actually start to contend for reconciliation in my life? How many times am I going to have to hear about transformation and hear about freedom and hear about healing before I am those things in Jesus? How many times am I going to have to respond in altar call about fear, about addiction, before I am free, before I am in love, before I live in love? How many times am I going to have to hear about it? And this is where the rub happens. This is where the advocacy of Jesus becomes critical, is that we actually feel it in our places of trying to be like him and stinking at it. That's where advocacy really starts to affect you. You're like, holy smokes, I need an advocate. Turns out I stink at being like Jesus in certain ways. Like I'm telling you, I am absolutely miserable at being like Jesus in certain ways. And some of it gets so frustrating and so irritating. I'm like, I've been cracking at that thing for like a decade. A decade, I haven't even scratched the stupid scratch and sniff sticker. <laughs> like, I don't even get it. And then here's where you get to, right? You get to that place where you're like, will I ever be able to? What is that? That's despair knocking at your door. That's discouragement knocking at your door. And then that's when do not be afraid, be of good courage begins to punch you in the chest. And you're like, yeah, yes. Christ is my advocate. Thank Jesus. He is my advocate. Because you know what? I stink. I'm miserable at this thing. And apart from him, I can't do it. That's so good. That's so good. That is the seed of humility. That is the seed of transformation. That's the seed of revival. That's the seed of momentum is you're going to either take the door of left, which is despair and sinfulness and just accepting the defeat, or it's, oh my goodness, I'm super discouraged. What do I do? Where do I go? How do I get there? I can't be like Jesus. This is awful. I'm never going to do it. And all of a sudden you begin to ask Jesus, you begin to tell him those things. Tell him, Jesus, I'm never going to be like you. I, I'm super frustrated and discouraged. I keep lying. I keep cheating. I keep doing all these different things. What? Why? How? Why haven't I broken through yet? You, like, allow yourself to get to that place of reality, right? Don't go into denial and be like, well, I'm doing my best. No, like, dig with the Lord. Really dig with him. If you haven't seen transformation realized, don't yield to despair. Don't yield to the discouragement that says it's okay. It's fine. You don't need to do that. You're still going to heaven. Yeah, that's great. Absolutely. And I'm not going to condemn you to hell, but I'm going to invite you to the fullness of life, which is don't give up and yield when you have yet to receive the transformation that you deeply desire. He's knocking on the door of your life. He's advocating for you. He is advocating for you. He is advocating for you. So, so there's cliches that we hear, right? What, right when it's not uh, when you haven't seen it realized, and it's not done yet. There's like you'll hear them in worship songs. You hear the cliches, and man, I hate cliches, and I especially hate it when they're right. You know what I mean? But these cliches, these cliches become real, right? It's like if you're not healed yet, I can guarantee you that's God's plan in your life. And if you're not freed yet, I can guarantee you that that's His advocacy for you. So. 
don't give up. Like, don't surrender to it. You might struggle in it. You might take L's. You might lose a battle. But do not surrender. Do not surrender. Do not forfeit ground. Do not yield your heart. Do not yield your mind. Do not give it up to those debased things. Do not surrender to the things of this world because they are easier or more convenient or comforting than the things of God. Right, Winston Churchill, that thing, never surrender. Just don't surrender. You might struggle, you might hate, you might get frustrated, you might hold on to unforgiveness for a second here and there, but do not relent the desire to be like Jesus. And when you've seen it snuffed out, say, God, reinstill in me a hunger and a thirst for righteousness. Reinstill it in me. Reinstill it in me. Reinstill that thing in for me. The beautiful thing about having an advocate that is eternal. Is it time? I don't have my watch up here. 1227. Wow, look at that. Got an internal clock. Great. The beautiful thing that, about having Jesus Christ as our advocate is that he doesn't know a shortage of energy or effort. He does not take steps back because we betray him time and time again. This is where no leadership you've ever had is anything like Jesus. So most people, you betray them once, they're gone. The best of them, after 10 times, they're like, hey, man, this has got to be a two-year, two-way street, bro. You know what I mean? Like, I've even... Uh, I've even had people that I've reached out to that I, um, I found myself giving up on them. And uh, it makes me sad to even think about it because I, 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 I saw my heart wavering and waffling and being like, I can't do this anymore, man. It's a couple of years now. It's a bunch of waves and effort and time and energy. And it's just like I saw my, my heart waffling and waving. And I was like, no, heart, don't do it. And it's like, that's funny. And it just kept doing it. It just kept going. And it makes me sad because I'm like, why did I, why did I run out of love? Why did I run out of grace? What happened? And I, I talked to God about it. And Jesus never runs out of it. It's pretty wild. I am sure we deserve less. But he is so, so stinking gracious. He's so gracious. He's so kind. He's so unrelenting in his generosity of will and desire and love and compassion. He heals us even when, this is the, this is the amazing part. Like if my kid asked me to fix something, I'm like, okay, buddy, I fixed it. But don't break it again. Breaks it again. Okay, buddy, second time I fixed it, all right? There's going to come a point where I'm not going to, I'm not going to fix it for you. You know what I'm saying? And, and so, but Jesus, it's crazy, right? He heals us. Oftentimes we go back and we just break it the same way. And then we're like, God, could you heal me again? And he's like, healed. And then we're like, break it again. Is God, can you heal us? And then breaks it again. It's just like, we go through this cycle, right? The Israelites did it for 40 years, just circles in the desert, 40 years, and God was still working a plan. 
You go back even further, Adam and Eve, it's a forfeiture of covenant, and he still was working in mankind for thousands of years, redemption and covenant relationship. And you see failure of leadership after failure of society, after failure of leadership, after failure of society, and God was still, even beyond a single lifetime, working out redemption, working, working out recovery. So if you need any litmus for whether or not God's given up on you or not, look at the generations of disappointment in the Bible. Generations, 40 years of cyclical defeat and failure to realize God's word and promises. And he was still working a plan. He was still advocating. He was still pursuing. This is such a critical image for us to have about Jesus. Because if we can't see Jesus as an advocate clearly, we're going to have very poor tools to handle sin or to be able to overcome sin. The vision of Christ as an advocate is critical to overcoming sin. Can you see it in your life? Can you see him working redemption and healing and freedom in specific areas? Could you tell me about them? Could you tell me the narrative and the storyline he's developing? Not just the hopeful, exciting ideas. Like at our, at our vision, our town hall night 28th, I totally want you guys to come. Uh, we're going to be talking about city on a hill, not a church on a hill, but building a city on a hill. We're going to be talking about establishing a house of peace, this city for healing and wholeness. We're going to talk about these things. And so there's these cool ideas that God will inspire and do through you as an individual or as a community. And those are awesome and they're really, really amazing. But also God has a freedom and a healing and a restoration plan. What are you ensnared by? What are you lusting after that isn't God? What idols have you built in your life and pledged allegiance to? What idols have you built in your life and you worship at the throne or at the footstool of those idols? This is part of God's building plan. He builds you, and what he does when he goes to build you is not only does he build you up, but first he tears down every idol, uproots every weed, and he does these things so that you can be whole and you could be free. He's not interested in large towers that are very attractive to man. He's interested in purity, righteousness, wholeness. And if, and if God does great things through you that people see, it's for the glory of God anyways. So God is not going to lift up something that is meant to glorify him that doesn't look like him. Because otherwise, God would just be resurrecting idols. So, Jesus Christ is your advocate. Can you see that vision in front of you? Can you understand what he is saying and doing to you, with you, on your behalf, when it comes to your actual life, your specific life? Is that good? All right, you want to stand? We're going to finish. How fun. Uh, we, I was singing this song at the end there when Tim was talking about 
getting closer in intimacy. Do you remember that Jen Johnson song? Throw me a little closer. I want to know your heart. Is that what that one? Can we, do you know that one? Mm-hmm. Can we sing it? Yeah. Sweet. I don't always make requests, but sometimes, you know, I'm like, I like that. Can we do that? But then sometimes I have a song, and then the worship leader's song was better, and I was like, that's awesome, you know? <laughs> I want to sing this song with you guys because there's, Tim was so good on it, and worship was so good on it, and I know it, it almost felt like it came across different, like last week even. It's just such a different, God does different stuff, though, and it, it, he does it at the right timing, and one week it's like the walls of Jericho came down, and another week it was like, it was like the woman trying to grab the hem of the garment which is totally a different experience than walls coming down in a battle. You know, it's like, it's just different. Well, God's really amazing at at being right where you're at. So he can do powerful things uh, in you struggling to just get a a grasp of his garment. Do powerful healing things in those places. And the desperation at times is actually really important. It's like, I'm desperate to receive a healing from God. I'm desperate for that place. And if you could close your eyes with me, I, I want to pray with you, and I want to pray for this, this vision of, uh, of Christ as an advocate to be realized. So, Father, I pray that Christ as an advocate would become such a clear spiritual vision for us right now, that you'd put it before our spirit, that you'd put it before our hearts and our souls, God. Christ the advocate. Christ, the one who's laying down his life for us. Christ, the one who's knocking on the door of our life. Christ, the one who is busy at work in the places of weakness and sin in our life. Christ, the advocate. Christ, the advocate. There's something important that when I was praying this morning, I I saw that there was a hopefulness that God was inviting you to. and, And it was really a repentance away from despair. I saw these places of despair, right? Like I've been doing it right and there's despair. I've been trying and there's despair. I don't think it ever will. And then apathy starts to kick in and we just start to settle. Settle in compromise, settle in sin, settle in impurity. And I saw Jesus, the vision of Christ the advocate, powerfully inviting us out of that place of despair. Christ, the hope of glory, begins to settle into this place. So God, I pray that you would write hope in the places that despair has uh, got a tattoo on our lives, Lord. That you begin to erase those places, that you begin to redeem those places, God. That hope would be the signature of our lives. That hope would be the marker uh, for us in transformation, God. That we enter into these places with Jesus, with the hopefulness of what advocacy can do in our life, God place before us a very clear image of Christ as the advocate. We return to hope in Jesus. We return to those places. I want to sing this a couple of times together and then whenever you need to go. Thank you for listening to The Mountain Podcast. The Mountain Church is located in Las Vegas, Nevada with services happening every Sunday at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. If you'd like to know more about The Mountain Church, please visit us at themtnchurch.com or watch one of our services on YouTube. Again, thank you for tuning in.